0: Well, listeners, if you are a history buff, then I think you'll enjoy this week's episode. We are talking to author Michelle Gable about her book, The Lipstick Bureau. This book is set in Rome towards the end of the war. Now, if you've read many different World War II books, you're thinking, I know everything there is to know, and yet I learned something new with this book. Well, I think you'll enjoy this, and I'm also going to give you a couple more recommendations of historical fiction that came out this year that are set around World War II. But first, let's talk to Michelle Gable. Listeners, today on the podcast, I have Michelle Gable. She is the best-selling author of A Paris Apartment, I'll See You in Paris, The Book of Summer, The Summer I Met Jack, and The Bookseller's Secret. Today, we'll be discussing her newest novel, The Lipstick Bureau. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me
1: first question we tend to ask our guest is, tell us about the book. So the book takes place mostly in post the end of the war in Rome. So it's after Rome has been liberated, but the war has not yet ended. And it's about this group of uh, morale operations people that were sent to Rome to disseminate false information. So they were part of the Office of Strategic Services, kind of a mouthful there, Mm. which was the precursor to the CIA. Mm -hmm. so this was all the clandestine work and this group specifically was sent there to kind of mess with morale of the germans so they would send in and it was black propaganda which means that they don't know who it's coming from so you know americans can say oh you guys are on the losing side. It's horrible, but they know it's coming from Americans. But if it appears to be coming from their own side, they might take it a little more seriously. So this ragtag group of people, artists, um, some women, writers, a, a whole mix of people were sent to Rome to send this kind of information across enemy lines. And one of the women there was Barbara Lowers, And that's who my main character is based on. My main character is called Nikki, but you know, I wanted to play a little more with the fiction side, but she's based on Barbara, who is really there.
0: Okay, yeah, I did read that it was based on uh, a, an actual person, an actual spy. So tell us a little bit more about Nikki and some of the other characters. I mean, I think they were all fascinating and different. Uh, there's Paloma, there's Will, there's Ezra.
1: Yes, Ezra, and Ezra was a real person. He was based on the cartoonist, Saul Steinberg. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of um, soldiers couldn't read Even, you know, their own language. So they needed a cartoonist on staff and he became a very famous cartoonist for the New Yorker. He's well regarded, but he worked in this morale operations office and he was a fascinating character in his own right. Um, I think my editor kept wanting more and more of him on the page. But, um, Nikki was based on Barbara and she was, uh, the original character as with Nikki, my, my main character was from um, Czechoslovakia, the former Czechoslovakia, and left and married a, an American man and then was recruited into the OSS, precursor CIA, because she had a lot of languages. She could easily slip in and out, You know, she could write things in, in different languages, believably. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how she ended up there. And from my, for my character, for her purposes, you know, everybody's asking her why you got out of your <laughs> during the war. You escaped. Why are you going back? Mm-hmm. And, you know, her family's still in Czechoslovakia. So she thinks that maybe the closer she gets, especially if she's with a clandestine organization who might have an unsized scoop. At that time, nobody was getting information out of Czechoslovakia, people did not know what was happening. Um, and so she thinks, well, here's my chance. I'll be physically closer. And then maybe with having my tentacles into the government, they might let me let me announce some information. And Paloma is a prostitute that works in Rome at the time. And, you know, it was something a lot of women had to do. do the Men were off at war and many died. And it was it was a hard time for a lot of Italians because they transitioned from being an axis on the what we would consider the bad side and then mm-hmm. you know they surrendered but then parts of the country were still with the access parts of the country were um allied and so there was a lot of mistrust and suspicion they were kind of struggling there and and a lot of women had to resort to, to that because there were a lot of a lot of americans especially in rome during the time first it was the germans were occupying rome and then it was the americans so there was a booming business and they had to survive somehow
0: yeah, absolutely. I think it's fascinating because I feel like I haven't read as many books about Italy. And um, so, World War II in Italy, I read a lot about England and Germany, and that, but not as much about Italy. So, what made you decide first to pick this time period and also set it in Italy?
1: Well, it was the same thing. Like you said, I've read a ton of books that are France, Germany, England. Um, you know, my, my prior book was set partially in England during the war during the Blitz. And I also love, Rome is my favorite city. Even though I've written multiple books about Paris, I love Rome. And so I loved setting a book there. Uh, I thought it was such an interesting time because Rome has surrendered. It's been liberated from Nazi rule, but the war still hasn't ended. So it's just kind of weird in between time. And I just thought that that end that end of the war was interesting. Like you can feel it coming, but you're not exactly sure as these characters are not exactly sure. So they're trying to do what they can to, to hasten the end of the war. Um, so I don't know, I just liked all those pieces of it. I And again, like you said, I, do, I just don't feel like there's that much that takes place in Italy during the war.
0: Yeah, I think I know how they feel with this pandemic, just sorta. Of exactly, you're fighting. like, you can
1: see the end and it's, but it's like, well, is it really, it feels close, but is it close? I don't know, maybe not. <laughs>
0: So the other thing, you brought up black propaganda, which completely surprised me. I was not expecting it. I didn't realize the allies were even doing this or it was even a concept like in my brain. Like it just was, oh, this actually happened. Uh, so yes. one, of the, one of the things that was that uh, nine million pieces were dropped during D-Day at Normandy. I was, uh, yeah, totally wasn't expecting that. And I think you don't see it often on TV. Like you see all the shooting and and the soldiers, but you don't really see all this other stuff happening.
1: I know. And I didn't know about that, too, until I really got into deep into the into the weeds of researching. And I thought I didn't know the D-Day part, especially that kind of came up later. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating that they were on top of it. They were trying to practice in Algiers, trying to like get their, you know, believable um, propaganda. Because, again, it has to be spoken in the right voice. So, for example, when um, Nikki has this whole project where she's trying to send things into a certain mountain region for check troops, you know, so she's hoping to reach her brother, she had to borrow a special kind of typewriter from the Vatican, because it had special symbols and all of that. So it was fascinating just to know that they, I mean, that that many pieces of propaganda was produced, and that it was also dropped in. And that was the first plane that flew over Normandy before bombs mm-hmm. or troops or anything like that was the propaganda. Mm-hmm. And then it, it also sent a signal like, that these people that were sending the propaganda who were supposedly inside knew what was happening, right? Mm -hmm. Because these were people coming from, they shouldn't know what's going on because they're on the enemy side. And so it's saying, oh, it's giving them credibility. We actually know what we're talking about. This thing's happening. You know, you see sort of a, if you go too dark in the message boards now about, oh, this is gonna happen, you know, predicting things and they never come true. What people that are, you know, on the quote unquote inside, well, in this case, oh, this is, this is going to really happen. So, and then it was just other things, just telling them we're on the losing side. We should probably give up. It's going to be much worse Mm -hmm. if we keep fighting than if we give up. So that, that piece of it too, trying to be persuasive. Mm
0: -hmm. So did it work do you know if it worked did, the, did Germans uh start seeing the 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 messages and and start to believe Yeah, it, it
1: absolutely did work and they attributed you know the real Nikki got did get a bronze star just as the Nikki in the book for for her efforts for the um the one the the troops in northern Italy and then also the League of Lonely War Women which was a big technique where they were preying on men's uh, desires to be to have female companionship and they would say you know we're the advertisements in the paper were, you know, we're these lonely housewives. We don't have anyone to entertain us. Meet us at this bar, and you know, we can have a little bit of a relationship and pin this little heart onto your onto your sleeve and you know, or to your lapel, and, and we'll meet up and have a little romance. And and these men were coming in droves to meet the women that did not exist. So it definitely was getting inc- and the, and in the aftermath, they interviewed a ton of POWs, and a lot of people were drawn in by this fake propaganda. Wow, it's absolutely fascinating. So uh,
0: in your research, uh, as you're doing the research for this book, uh, did you learn anything surprising or how did you go about your research process? process? Because there's a lot of moving parts to this. You've
1: got... Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there are timelines and everything. Yeah, yeah, and then there's a whole, um, as you know, there's a whole modern timeline, but it's not well, quote unquote modern. It's the '80s. I consider that modern. A lot of people consider that historical. I don't know. <laughs> it's when Nikki's older, um, but yeah, it was the research was kind of tough because there's not as much even nonfiction about that time and place. Mm-hmm. So I had to. There's a, a bunch of um, people have written like a lot of the women that were in the OSS have written memoirs or there's been books about their time, nothing specifically by Barbara, but she's mentioned in a lot of it. And so I started with that just to kind of figure out what their day-to-day life was like, their operations. And then I tried to find books and memoirs about people that were living in Rome, during this very, very specific nine months between the liberation and the war ending, because it was a very chaotic time. It was kind of, it was just a very interesting time there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, men would come there and and be feeling like they're on holiday, but it's still a war and people are suffering. So it, it was a very strange time. And then I tried to, and then finding information about what was happening in Czechoslovakia, At the time was also very difficult because because it was so sealed off and so many records like I like to go to records when I'm researching, you know, firsthand accounts of things of just everyday people who are experiencing because you think about it like if you're experiencing some big historical event you think mm-hmm. about it, but it's affecting you different. You're not just like, well, goodness, I hope the battle of the blah, blah, blah goes well. You know, you're, you're thinking about it on a more personal level. And so I, I prefer to look at firsthand accounts where it's like, you're not always thinking about it. Um, it was actually in my prior book, which I wrote during the pandemic. It was, um, they get, to, they're in London in the blitz and they get to the point where they're like, they realize they're like, oh, this is so weird. We're carrying gas masks. With us mm-hmm. to dinner, like it's normal. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so relatable when we were in the pandemic. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of that thing where you get used to the everyday, even if it's horrible. And uh, but finding firsthand accounts from Czechoslovakia were hard. A lot of things were bombed, for example, a lot of records were bombed. So I love to find records, firsthand accounts, all that. So that was very difficult. I mean, I, re- I had to search, I don't even remember. I found, I think I found a memoir written by some artist that lived there during that time. It was, hard to find that. So, and then just trying to understand, you know, I got all the OSS documents about things they were doing, but a lot of us redacted. So a lot of memos, reading a lot of memos and that stuff can be kind of dense, Mm -hmm. (laughs) government memos and, you know, the government um, guides about how to, how to, do your operations and all that. There's little tidbits of that in the book, which is, def- which is directly from the guides. So a little bit of everything. It, it wasn't, e- the research wasn't that easy just because there wasn't a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I did the best I could <laughs> with what with what I had and trying to give that sense of a time and place. And several uh, soldiers wrote memoirs who were mm-hmm. in Rome during that time. So I, I looked at that kind of stuff. Okay, and then were you able to- And, travel- and oh, one more thing, uh, Stars and Stripes magazine. Our mm-hmm. Stars and Stripes newspaper, which is an army newspaper. I got, I, and they were, they had a bureau in, in Rome. I read a lot of their back issues. And that was kind of interesting because my dad actually wrote for Stars and Stripes in, oh, during wow. Vietnam. So it was kind of full circle. Yeah. There. Yeah. So, and were you able to travel to the uh, locations for? Uh... Not this time, but I've been to Rome a lot mm-hmm. and I, you know, I love it there, but I would, you know, that's always a good excuse. So that's why my books are always <laughs> good places because then you can have an excuse to go there.
0: <laughs> definitely. I definitely want to go to the Czech Republic for sure. So someday. Yes, so do I.
1: So do I, for sure.
0: So the name, the Lipstick Bureau,
1: how did that come about? I don't know. I just, it. it, it there's a line in there where the, the men are kind of joking because it's the women that are co- coming up with this. It's uh, Nikki and her fictional her sister-in-law comes Mm -hmm. to work at the office and that's completely a fiction fictionalized character so the men are Ezra and Will who's who's Nikki's love interest and that and he was a real that's really the guy's name what happened to him at the end like that really happened all of that so he was I don't know much about him but his background about you know where he was from who he was all of that that was facts Mm -hmm. uh but but so the Will and Ezra were kind of making fun of them. Oh, okay. Well, the Lipstick Bureau, they're going to solve it all. So <laughs> a little tongue in cheek. And I thought, you know, we thought it was a funny name. We went through a, a bunch of different titles and that was kind of the one that everybody agreed upon. Okay.
0: Yeah. I think I found it. Another thing that I found fascinating is, is the, uh, how much women really did contribute. And yet it's only like start, like a lot of that's a lot of
1: those stories are only just now starting to to come out. Yeah, it is fascinating, like especially these books that are about there's a whole book about all the women that were in OSS Mm -hmm. during the war. And you don't really hear about that. And people that became had very high levels, had very high responsibilities, were putting themselves at great risk and not just in Europe and across the world. It was it's really fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think. The War Librarian, for example, that just came out uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago. And I was like, oh, librarians are actually <laughs> involved in the yes. War effort. Yes. quite subversive, those yeah.
1: librarians. Yeah.
0: So what did you find the most challenging to write and what you enjoy the most?
1: Um, it was hard. That I uh, It was a little challenging figuring out how to frame the mod because I wanted I wanted to have conclusion about what happened to the characters. That's why there's the modern day storyline, which is a very it's not a very it's more of like a wrapper than a, a true mm-hmm. storyline. It's not that it's not that big of a portion of the book. So figuring out how to wrap that, because I really just didn't want to end on a certain like sour note or, I, you know, it was hard to figure out where to end it. And I wanted to kind of tell some of the ending in retrospect almost after you've had time to think about it. So that part was challenging. And I went back and forth about how to do that. And then my, it was actually my editor that suggested, well, maybe it's just a one, that part, because originally that happened over many months, that part of it, mm-hmm. uh, the modern day, but now it's just kind of really one night. Uh, so that was her suggestion, which I thought was a good one. So that, I struggled quite a bit with that. And like I said, I struggled quite a bit with the, finding information about the Czech Republic during that time and, and and also understanding some of the operations was not, you know, I just, I'm not like a military. (laughs) I don't have a military tactical brain. So trying to understand that. And then I just, I just really, really, really loved um, the, I loved writing Ezra. He was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and I liked writing Paloma. She was very easy to write. And also, uh, you know, it can be hard sometimes like with a main character that doesn't always like make great decisions who can be a little prickly, and that's Nikki making sure her motivations are clear and stuff. But I really, I just had fun with all the characters that were in the Rome office and and the things that they were doing. They were just a lot of fun to hang out with for me. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Yes. And I found myself yelling at Nikki going, wait, why are you doing that? So...
1: Exactly, exactly. And, that, and that's a, that can be a struggle sometimes because you need to make her believable, but you know, where you understand it, but you get mad at her. Like, you're like, I would never do that, but you need to understand why she, why she would, even if you think it's a ridiculous idea. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: So uh, what is your writing process? Like, are you someone who outlines or see, um,
1: pantser? Yeah, I definitely outline, though. The outline changes mm-hmm. hugely over time, but for me, it's just helpful to know where I'm going and have a path because, yeah. yeah. It just, it makes it easier to see ahead, even if, and, and the things always change and it's not a detailed outline. It's more like this happens, this happens, this happens. Um, my little trick is that I always stop in the middle of something that's going well. So that like in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a chapter, that's when I'm writing a lot that when I need mm-hmm. to pick it up the next time, it's easier to pick up and you're not right. staring at a blank page or staring at like chapter five. Uh That part is intimidating. Cause I always think like, okay, opening your file is definitely, definitely the hardest part of writing, getting started is always the hardest part. And I do quite a bit of research beforehand, but I try not to do too much. And I've learned this over time because if you do too much in advance, then you're just like looking for places to, you don't really know what you need. Mm -hmm. So you're, I always would be like, oh, well, this is a fun fact. Let me try to cram this in a story somewhere, even though it's like really not necessary to the entire story. So those are uh, a few of the the things that I do. And then I just start writing and I'll, and I'll research along the way. So I'll have maybe books that I'm reading, you know, I'll, I'll get a lot of, I'll get a lot of books from the library. Cause a lot of the th- things I read are out of print. Mm-hmm. So I need to get stuff from the library. And luckily I also have um, a university library as well. Cause sometimes things that aren't at the local library are at the university library. So I'll get things from there and I'll have certain things that I'm reading along the way. So maybe if it's a memoir about Rome. During that time, I'll read that as I'm working on those pieces. And then I do quite a bit of research after. So then at that point, I know, okay, this doesn't matter. Oh, here's an interesting tidbit to to put into here. So that's kind of my process. And once I'm, when I'm actually writing, I have a daily word count Mm -hmm. goal based on my deadline. You know, it's usually between 1,000 and 1,500 words, which isn't that much for a daily goal. It's just based on my deadline. Right, right. What's next? Uh you already started another book? <laughs> yes, I have a book due in a, a, at the end of next month. So it's it's called The Queen of Palm Beach right now, but the title will probably change and it's about uh Lily Pulitzer. It okay. start it, the main character is it kinda, it starts with um there's a famous photographer named Slim Aarons. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but You've, I guarantee you've seen his work. His work is iconic. He would, he he had a very long career. He actually started as a war photographer in Rome. Funny, funnily enough, but his career spanned like from the fifties all the way until you know the nineties. And he would, his kind of catchphrase that he made up himself is he would photograph attractive people doing attractive things in attractive places so it was very after he was a war photographer he's like none of that (laughs) I'm done with that and it was very glamorous very Mm -hmm. very glamorous and uh so my main character in that book is a photographer and he was very good friends with Lily Pulitzer so my character is his assistant she's like a failed debutante she takes this job as assistant and gets in, she thinks oh this is great he's friends and photographs all these fabulous people and maybe I can you know, find myself a rich husband and of course that's not that's not what ends up happening and Lily Pulitzer was a fascinating character in her own right because she was an era, a Standard Oil heiress and she was mm-hmm. very a denizen of Palm beach. She had this very handsome husband. She would run around, they would run around bare, bare feet, you know, in the sixties and in Palm beach. And they called them Tarzan and Jane. And she had kids very young. And she, after she had the kids and she was very, very bright. She got kind of felt very stifled and, basically had a mental break because she was like, what, she loved her kids, but like, what next, like, is this what I'm doing with my life? It's just looking after kids. She felt very useless. And her, the psychiatrist she spoke with at the hospital was like, you just, what you need is you need a hobby. You need a hobby. And her husband had owned all these orange groves. And so she decided that she was going to start a juicing business. So she opened up a little shop. She would juice you know, make these juices for her palm, reach friends. She would make fruit baskets. Her friends would give them to each other for <laughs> holidays and and they would give them to friends. And he had the best fruit, her husband and all this stuff. And she ended up like, because she was juicing herself, like she would spill all over herself. And she's like, I need dresses that like hide the stains. So she went and found the craziest fabric she could find. And she may had her seamstress make shift dresses. She was also very insecure about her figure because she didn't really, you know, she was a little bit bigger. She didn't have a waist. So the shift dresses are like what you learn to make in HOMAC. And that became the Lily Pulitzer shift mm-hmm. dress. Like she just, fed it. her good friend from school was Jackie Kennedy. And so Jackie Kennedy wanted a couple and she started wearing them. And of course, after that it exploded so um and she was just an interesting character and then that her company went bankrupt and then it came back two men in in the 90s remember their mom's wearing lily pulitzer and they revived the brand after it had mm-hmm. been long dead so it's it's mostly palm beach but the but though because she this main character works for slim errands she goes to acapulco you know gaston like very fabulous places in addition to to being spending a lot of time in palm beach so that's what i'm working on now it's a lot of fun yeah, that sounds like it. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I look forward to see to reading that next. Uh, so a couple more questions. Uh, what do you hope readers take away from this book? Well, I always am happy when somebody says they learned something from something, something right like they say, oh my gosh, I never knew that X, Y, Z. And it made me Google. I Googled this person or I Googled that. Like that is always a huge compliment to me. So I hope people take that away. One of the... the quote-unquote themes of the book I don't usually write with the idea of a theme but is you know just the effect that propaganda has on other people and on the people producing Mm it because like Moggy, one of the characters gets kind of like twisted around herself because she's like wait we're like lying to people is that okay did the ends justify the means so there's not really an answer to that but it's just contemplating that I would say and and then I hope they just people appreciate the work that the women did contribute. And then also people like Ezra, you know, the cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And especially right now when, you know, misinformation is is out there. Exactly. I, I felt like it was very parallel to mm-hmm. that. And it's, and it's like, what is that costing the society, the people making the propaganda and receiving it, you know, both sides of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then last question we always ask our guest is, what are you reading or what do you recommend?
1: Well, I just finished Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro. I finished that last night and I was like sobbing. It was so good. It was so good. And then she's, she's been a memoirist of late. She's written very well-known memoirs and uh, this is her first fiction in like 15 years or something. Mm -hmm. And then I just started Now Is Not The Time To Panic by Kevin Wilson, which is, I love Kevin Wilson. I love his sly humor and, and just the way he constructs a sentence. He's just brilliant. And I'm about 100 pages in I love it. And then I recently read for historical fiction that's right here um The Ways We Hide by Christina McMorris and this is a fascinating book um again it's about some, it's about a woman an unlikely woman you know who who goes from a I guess you could say sort of a quiet existence to to being involved in the war and Christina McMorris wrote sold on a Monday which was a really best selling book. So that this was a gorgeous book. I loved it so much.
0: Very nice. That's a good list now. I'll have more books to add. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here and And uh, thank you. And listeners, the Lipstick Bureau is available right here at the Kirkwood Public Library and wherever fascinating books are sold. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michelle Gable. Now, if you can't get enough of World War II historical fictions, I've got three more recommendations for you. The first one is One Woman's War by Christine Wells. This is the story of World War II British Naval Intelligence Officer Victoria Bennett. She is the real life inspiration for the James Bond character Miss Moneypenny. This book has all the exciting thrills that you find in a James Bond film, except the focus is Miss Moneypenny and not James Bond. My next recommendation is The Librarian Spy by Madeline Martin. Who would have thought that librarians could make very good spies? So, our main character, Ava, thought her job as a librarian at the Library of Congress would be quiet, routine. But something unexpected happens, and she gets an offer from the U.S. military to start a mission in Lisbon, posing as a librarian while working undercover as a spy, gathering intelligence. And my third recommendation is that summer in Berlin, by Leisha Cornwall. This book is actually set right before World War II. It is 1936 and it is the Berlin Olympics. Main character Vivian, she's a debutante and she is in Berlin to help the English spy on the Germans. She spies on them to see if Germany is actually preparing for war. Because during the Olympics, Germany is on its best behavior, graciously welcoming tourists in a festival of peace and goodwill. Each of these books features strong women doing their part to help the war effort. I think you'll enjoy all of them, but if you have any suggestions for me, please let me know. You can write to me at the email address podcast at kplmo.org. I'd love to hear from you. That's our show this week. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned next week when we speak to author Mary Kubica about her new book, Just the Nicest Couple. I'm going to leave you with a quote by Ovita Culp Hobby, First Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. Women who stepped up were measured as citizens of the nation, not as women. This was a people's war, and everyone was in it.